HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's c-o-m-t-e-usa.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters, and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love, all for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. Good afternoon, greetings and salutations. This is Aaron Foster bringing Cutting the Curd to you, our weekly-ish show about cheese and uh, accompaniments and uh, cheese-related, cheese-adjacent things and delectables and delights. I am here with my guest, Jeff Russell. Hello, Jeff. Hi. How's it going? That's good. Jeff is uh, coming to us, and we're going to talk about cider this week. Um, and you might be thinking, wait, this is a cheese show. Um, but we often discuss pairings and uh, accoutrements and things that make cheese just that much better. And cider is one of those things. Cider is definitely, I think, one of the better, if not the best, of those things. Ooh, that sounded a little Trumpian. Uh, I didn't mean I it to. No, absolutely. It's not be Sith here. Well, he's a teetotaler, so we don't trust him. Um, Jeff comes to us with a great deal of experience in cider and in wine. Um, right now, he is the sales director for Eden Cider, which you may have seen these adorable 
uh, orange cans with the apple on them uh, around town or uh, perhaps in bottle. Um, but before that, uh, he was with MFW Wine Company and, uh, and also the, the Terroir Group as well, I believe. Yeah. Um, so he has a deep and abiding love of the apple and its, its associated ferment. Um, so we're going to talk to Jeff today a little bit about cider and uh, just sort of what the state of the nation of cider is and, and, and where it's at in terms of its, its sort of renaissance. Um, I think he'll, he'll jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, but cider is one of these things that was extremely important in America for a long time and then kind of went away. Extremely important, one of the main reasons people got their homesteads, helped people with clean water as we moved westward. And so you're saying we, we ended up drinking cider instead of... Uh, it's actually the reason for the teetotaler movement. Gary Nation was running in with axes, busting up uh, giant barrels of cider. A lot of the time, everyone's thinking it's bourbon. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. In, yeah. the, in the movies, it's bourbon. Cider. Well, who knew? All right. So I think what we're going to do today is just do a little bit of talking about where cider is at the moment. Um, talk about kind of the cider movement. There's a lot of cider fanatics out there. Maybe just define the term, I think, and then go from there. And then we'll, we'll talk about pairing and uh, how it fits in with cheese. I feel like cider has a great deal of, let's say, like parallel lives, parallel trajectories with cheese, and I think it. I think it would be fun to kind of highlight some of those, and then we'll, you know, what we might break into a couple bottles or cans and uh, eat some cheese and cider. Sound good? Sounds great. Awesome. All right. So why don't you tell us what this? What give us a little? Bring us up till now. You, you give us a little bit of that tidbit of history, but like. I feel like maybe past 10 years ago, I wasn't really hearing much about cider other than like woodchuck. So where, how do we get to now? So a lot of different things happened. Um, two main cideries that I think really can be credited for where we are now and how we got to this point are going to be Farnham Hill. Um, Steve Wood did some amazing things. He's the one who kind of reclaimed. They're in Pro- New Hampshire? Lebanon, New Hampshire. Great. And Steve was one of the first people to really start growing proper cider apples again in the U.S. So, um, so I might jump in and ask a yeah. couple of questions. Um, Please keep me on Maybe track. some of these are, 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 are uh, dumb questions. But So uh, you said a cider apple. That's, so are those not apples? They're all apples. Okay. But we have what we call dessert fruit, and then we have cider fruit. Sharps, bitter sharps, sweets, bitter sweets. Um, and... When it comes to cider fruit, it really has to do with tannin level and acidity okay. and their measurements. And so dessert ha- apples like the apple that like the f- I got. It's the, t- the apple you have teacher. Red Delicious. It's okay. those beautiful apples that you see on teacher's desk. Exactly. Um, and kind of, some of them, which kind of taste like garbage? or I, uh, Some of them, like I don't think you should eat Red Delicious. I think they're pretty, but there's no reason <laughs> to eat them. Fair enough. Um, but with the teetotaler movement and prohibition, I know prohibition is the reason for a lot of problems in this country. Um, Originally, America had more apples at one point than anywhere else in the world. Um, Apple trees are extremely, what we call extremely heterozygous. So when you think of an apple, I know big, big word. Um, I got a tickle. I'm studying for my SATs. Um, (laughs) But when you cut open an apple, everyone had this in kindergarten. When you cut it open, you saw those beautiful seeds right inside in the shape of a star. Each of those is different genetic material. So if you let a tree breed on its own, it's going to create an entirely different apple. The only way to actually get the same apple is to graft your genetic material. So take cuttings from another apple tree because you found an apple you like and put it back onto the 
whatever stock tree of your have. choice. Okay. Whatever tree you have. This can be done multiple times. I mean, it's not a viable thing to do. So but. I've heard of these things where they have like trees with 50 different fruits on them. That, that's like a grafting uh, situation. If you ever go out to Art and Science Ciders in Oregon, uh, Kim and Dan have just such a tree right in their mm, front yard. Very cool. So it is possible. Um, but basically because uh, with people homesteading and moving out, Johnny Appleseed was a real person. We don't need to go into that whole thing. Okay. But uh, for the government to deed you your homestead, you needed 50 fruit trees on the land. So what Johnny Appleseed was doing was going around and planting fruit trees and then taking payment for getting the land ready for the government to give it to you. And he was planting apples mm. because you had the ability to turn that into a low alcohol cider. It was safe to drink. It was part of everyday life. You'd give it to field hands if anyone joined you. So it was something that had, there was a market already there. There was a, for there was a big market. Cider came to America and it just started exploding. The ch- apples weren't native to America, but once they got here, they took right to it and started and becoming then, America's. Pretty food. quickly, we had more apples than anyone else. Exactly. Literally thousands of varietals, and you can still see that. Um, great book to read. Uh, Andy Brennan from Aaron Burr Cider just came out with a book that goes pretty deeply into this. Yeah, anyone's sweet. interested in a deep dive. Oh, um, yeah. But we'll do a 201 next time. Because people were mainly growing cider apples and had some fruit that wasn't really what we have now. People weren't just grafting on a no lot Granny of Smiths, these. No Granny Smiths, no Red were, Delicious. They were around. Red Delicious were probably like late 1800s. Mm. Um, but a lot of people were still growing cider fruit. Uh, with the passage of the Volstead Act, which is actually what classified alcoholic beverages and what you could create. It's the actual law that outlawed everything, not the amendment. Gotcha. Um, People went in and actually ripped out trees, burned down trees, because they thought that people were... The only use for these apples was to make cider. Um, so we got stuck with... And the owners did that, or like the tea men um, came in, both? Yeah, men in black suits came gotcha. in. Just kind of ripped it out, because the didn't, government didn't trust us. Um, people were left with a couple of these varietals that no one was really buying. We ended up with the same five apple varietals continually grown, these kind of abused orchards that we have today. Um just because no one wanted us making cider. And so so most after or sort of beginning and during Prohibition, a lot of these apple varieties went away because they were no longer useful um, and, and were actually exactly. ele- could only be made into something illegal. Yeah, they'd be to what the government. We, like cider apples, some of them we classify as spitters. You're just going to take spitters, a bite. Nice. They're coming right out. Great. Um, so they weren't useful. It's actually why the government came out with the whole uh, an apple a day keeps the doctor away campaign. It's government propaganda to help people who now are at a loss or not selling alcoholic cider yeah. anymore to sell some of this fruit that wasn't being who sold Who knew before. there was such an insidious backstory to that? Yeah. So prohibition happens. Uh, people, you know, start bootlegging and doing all that. Uh, prohibition goes away, but because those We're apples... stuck with all these just kind of basic apples. Dessert apples. Dessert apples. So, you know, Steve Wood helped come bring back um, a lot of traditional English varietals, uh, started grafting true cider apples. And then he, along with uh, West County Ciders, which has been around since I believe the late 80s as well. And they're in... in they're in uh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Up near, uh, kind of near Deerfield, um, okh okay. Where Northampton-ish like Western area. Mass area. Yeah, yeah, where they do cider days every year. Berkshires. Great, yeah. Great cider festival. That's like a big, like... Cider Woodstock? Pretty cool. much. It's the it's the best cider festival in America. All right. Is it open to the public? It is. Okay, cool. Mark your calendars, kids. Um and so why do you why is it that only in the last ten years I've you know, I feel like I've started is it so just it takes I, about eight years for trees to develop. You start getting fruit. Uh Steve sells some of his juice to a lot of these cider makers that are popping up now, so they have solid juice to actually create cider with. Um I I hate saying this, but I really do think the gluten-free movement 
is a major reason you right, see like because cider has no gluten, right? Oh, are there ciders that have gluten, or they're just? I mean, unless you're adding you're something, something to it, to it. That they're going to be gluten free. But um, I think that really is the push that made like major breweries start to pay attention and move into cider, where they're like, oh, we need an option for the gluten free people. And you feel like cider is like booming right now, or is it is it growing kind of like had you know? Are, is there enough apples? It's a mixed bag. There it's are not enough bag. apples. Um, but, you know, there are, I want to say, about 910, probably a few more as of now. But the last, I saw about 910 cider licenses in America. 634 of those are probably just cideries, not like your brewery that has a cider dent, like right, cider addition, like things a, like that. Like primary cider And makers. then probably like 3% of that are going to be like traditional cideries. Um, like Eden or Farnham Hill. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, I noticed in doing research for this show that a lot of the states that are producing some of the, what what you're calling traditional cider. Um, so well, let's define that term actually. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, so this is a big thing. It's hard to come up with like a nomenclature. The United States Association of Cider Makers now has Heritage Cider, which we're trying to kind of change the name of right now. Because it has racist overtones? That's exactly why. Okay, cool. Um, Great. And then um, modern ciders. So modern ciders are all your, like, um, fruit-added, kind of, a lot of them are quicker brewed. Um, Then what we make, more traditional ciders, would be only apples. Um, They're going to be made at or around harvest, so you're not sweating or holding your apples in cold storage as they develop for very long. You're not, like, keeping apples there and making your cider all year. Gotcha. You're only making your cider once a year. So it's like a vintage, like grapes. Yeah. You're treating it a lot like wine. The best example, it's think of it like making wine as opposed to making a beer. And cider is basically apple wine. Yeah. I feel like in our brains, we lump it together with beer more than we do with wine for some reason. I wonder if that's, is that like alcohol level or just how it's marketed? Um, Depends on packaging. Like cider is a really weird thing right now because language is really, um, hard to come by because it's a thing that was traditional then went away and now is coming back so there's a nomenclature that still needs to be developed but people have some words for it gotcha Uh, so like the word dry means nothing on a label um like it has no legal uh, no legal meaning customary definition no new york state uh just came out with a and uh we were part of helping to create this eleanor my boss was um creating the cider scale it's actually right here on one of the cans we have a can here actually so that's a that's a good cue i'm gonna open it we're gonna taste some with a little cheese while we as we oh that was good it's a beautiful sound yeah that was really good um Um, i'm gonna save that for later the sound not the cider i'm drinking that right now but we use the german riesling scale essentially it's a combination of acidity as well as sugar to balance it and give you an actual scale to look at but okay there's no legal Definition. Well, and the German uh, Riesling scale is known for being extremely transparent to the yeah. average customer. And that's, so. what we want. that's what we want more people to adopt. <laughs> but people who are not using this can use whatever they want. It could be any residual level and still call it dry. There's right. no law for it. So getting back to this, I, I, I have noticed of late mm. that um, what seemed to be really uh, significant cider-producing states, and, and I know this just because we carry cider at my shop, um, states like Vermont... Um, California, Oregon, and New York State um, all seem to be pretty at the forefront of uh, like traditional cider production. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
So it's interesting. Those are states that I think are, are at the forefront also of artisan cheese production. Um, I have some thoughts on this. Do you, do you think there's any connection there as to why? Uh, 100%. I think um, you have these farms that are especially early on that you're trying to create a system that you're living off this all year. Um, it's what now we try to do with uh, in our we're using holistic practices, or if you're in a winery, biodynamic. Um, okay. I compare them. I like to call them, say uh, holistic. If we're both magic, people who practice holistic orchards are like druids, and biodynamics is kind of like straight up wizards. We're both we're both a little bit of magic, just a little different. Okay. And creating our own little. Where are the mages in this? The mages would be, oh, let's call them organic. <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, they're using a lot of copper. Let's call them the alchemists. We're, yeah. We're, <laughs> listeners are dropping off like yeah, flies sorry. right now. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, I, it, I blame myself. Um, so you think that it, it, it's, it has to do with um, the fact that these are agricultural states? And, and uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about it when we get to just straight pairing practices. But uh, I always like to go with, you know, if it grows together, it goes together. Right. And when you have these cows and you have your apples growing, like you want to use your cows to, and chickens and everything else to kind of fertilize your orchards, bring them back. You have a healthy diet because you have healthy lawns, healthy manure. Um, things going in, you might be making some cheese for your neighbors as well as making cider traditionally. So I feel a lot of things could have developed in kind. You also, uh, we have a great relationship, um, with a few different cheese agers, um, um, often ores. Sure. Like, um, um the sellers of Jasper yeah, exactly. aging or. And we wash yeah. with cider. So it's a great way when you're oh, making right. cheese, you know, realizing that you can keep these cheeses clean as you age So these them? are things, it's interesting, right? Because these are things that I, traditionally in Europe, I mean, we often talk about this, how America has reinterpreted and remixed traditional European food ways. Um, and these are things that would have traditionally gone together in England or in uh, France or other places mm-hmm. where they have rich, or, or Spain, where there are these rich cider traditions. Um, and you would have had, it's just nice to know that somehow that thread has hasn't been dropped since, you know, that prohibition didn't destroy it. And, um, somehow there's still a connection there. Yeah. Cool. Um, do you, well, you just sort of mentioned, um, pairing. I think we should, uh, we should talk a little bit about that, but first I I did want to like, do you feel like if there's one takeaway, um, in terms of like what you want people to know about cider, what you want people to know about, let's say buying cider or, or the cider movement or where it's at right now. Like, what do you think that would be? I, I want just people to start asking questions. Okay. I think about their cider. I think you should ask, um, when you first get a cider, where did the apples come from? Um, meaning you know, like, did they come from the U S did they come from yeah, the farm? That they were are they, on? Like, did the farm, did this orchardist, get his own apples is he buying juice is he buying apples and there's not a wrong answer to this because you can always get a great source we work with we have our own orchards but we also have about five other growing partners that we deal very closely with and then oh is, is like but is buying juice like a is that not is that like not cool or it's cool no, or it, it can, depends it, it completely depends these gotcha. are all questions just to like you know to take the next step deeper into I what see. you're drinking there can be like because you could be buying Mott's apple juice or you could be buying something from steve Oh, all right. At Farnham Hill, so there's, and then you can make cider for both. Yeah, I'm not exactly. I'm not going to make judgment calls, uh, absolute judgments on any yeah. of this. They're just questions you should ask. And like when, 
Okay, so it's it's ask questions, try yeah. to learn a little bit more, do, and do you do diligence? Uh, see, like we try to label all of our apple varietals on the can. Like, what apples are they? Um, if it's sweet, why is it sweet? Mm. Did they add sugar to this? Did is it uh, back sweetened with fresh juice? In our case, we're always using our ice cider. There's not a bag of sugar anywhere on the property. Did they halt fermentation? And is it the natural sugars, or did they just? dump a bunch of cane sugar in there. Ah, interesting. All right. So I, I definitely want to get to yeah. the sweetness question. Um, why don't we take a quick break to hear from some of our great supporters and sponsors, and then we'll uh, come back and spend some more time with uh, Jeff Russell talking about cider, and then definitely cheese. We will get to cheese. <laughs> This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. All right, we're back. Thank you very much for sticking with us. Uh, again, this is Cutting the Curd, your semi-weekly-ish kind of show on the Heritage Radio Network about all things cheese and all things sort of cheese-adjacent uh, and cheese-friendly. And there's nothing that goes better with cheese than cider. And I say that because I have a cider guest in the room today. He's Jeff Russell from uh, Eden Cider. Thanks for being with us again, Jeff. Thank you. All right. So we haven't talked a whole lot about cheese, and I feel like I owe it to my listeners to bring us back into that, uh, that neck of the woods. So... At my shop, uh, we sell we sell cheese, we sell cider. I'm always a big evangelist of cider because I think it goes really well with cheese. And you mentioned earlier this sort of lesson, if it grows together, it goes together, or rule of thumb, um, handy jingle, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I've often, I've often kind of tossed that out at, at, at customers as well. Um, and we try to carry che- uh, ciders and, and cheeses from, from the same place. Uh, and I think it's true that they do, they do talk nicely to each other. Um, but I feel like I get, I get a lot of questions about, um, 
bubbles versus no bubbles. I feel like my customers still don't really understand still cider. Um, so why don't we jump in and talk about what makes a good pairing with, with cheese. And I should say right now we're snacking on uh, Neil's Yard Dairy uh, Montgomery's Cheddar, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal Somerset West Country Cheddar raw milk um, matured by Neil's Yard Dairy. Uh, happy 40th anniversary, Neil's Yard. We're thinking of you. Uh, and we are drinking the Eden Heritage Cider. Um, and you said the varietals are actually on the can. Um, are yes, they on so the can? Where are they? They're right above here. Oh, there we go. Dabinette, Macintosh, Empire, Spartan, and Esipus Spitzenberg. And they change is, every year. Sounds like my Jewish uncle. Did he come and he comes in, makes sure you get filter fish? Yes. Just, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Esipus Spitzenberg is actually one of my favorite apples. Um, it's great in a blend. Is it named after a person? Uh, the Esipus Spitzenberg. I don't, I can't remember the history. I think it's the place. Hmm. Or no, Esipus Spitzenberg is the person. And the place, I'm pretty sure of where they found it growing, but I'm not 100% sure. Need to Fair check Rowan Jacobson's yeah, man, book. No problem, yeah. Sorry, man. It's been a long weekend. I spent, <laughs> it is. I spent all Thursday with drag actually. queens on Cherry Grove, and my oh. brain's still fried. All right. Um, but Then you did it right, I think. I, I did it very much right. Um, but just uh, to note, too, with all those apples, they change every year, and we do a little pumice ferment with that, so it has a little more tannin. Pumice, that means so we take the, that um, like skin the contact crush, of yeah, cider? It's a, it's a ferment with skin contact from the Dabinette. Last year it was Kingston Black Apples. So if 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 you if the wine kids out there are um, are after like a like a orange wine, is that it's like the analogy? Like, it's more like a batonage, like keeping the lees okay. kind of stirred. Like it adds a little bit more to it and a little more tannin. All right. It's not quite an orange wine, just but still a little more full. Okay, and gets some of the qualities of the Dabinet through it. Cool, super cool. Um, so yeah, let's like you know, tell me about. Uh, bubbles versus still, because I know in you know most wine we drink is still wine, um, you know unless you're balling. Um, but I feel like in cider, generally speaking, I would say a lot of the ciders that that are available to me to purchase, and then a lot of the ciders people come in and ask for are going to be um, sparkling. Yeah, um, that is. It's very hard to sell still cider, no matter how good is it. Good it is. Um, is that people just, haven't moved behind it yet. But I love it. Uh, properly made still ciders, I think, are like a great wine. Um, I'm going to say uh, Eve Cidery from upstate New York. Their Albie Hill is one of the better still oh, ciders yeah. on the market. I like that cider a lot. Uh, the Cinderella Slipper, which we've made twice in 14 and 16. There's 16 still on the market, um, is another one of my favorites. And uh, whenever Steve Wood at Farnham Hill does his Kingston Black, it's... Oh, yeah. I've had that one, too. That's great. It's lovely. Um, um, but so tell me, is is... Is it just a matter of choice on the part of the cider maker? Um, it's, yeah, because there are a lot of ways. So it's another question I like people to ask, and this will go into the pairing, but like, you know, how did it get bubbly? So a lot right. of ciders on the market... How do it work? ...go into a bright tank, um, and they force carbonate. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's how we do our can. As long as the juice is good, you know, you're not going to get these super fine bubbles, but you get something great. Um, we just think this juice works better in a can with some bubbles. It's going to play better. I think it's pairing well with the cheddar. It kind of... Cuts through a little bit. Yeah, you get the scrubbing bubbles effect. Yep. Um, you know, we do a lot of Method Champenois stuff. Our main line, uh, Brut Nature and our Etrasec are both Method Champenois. Um, Kite and String up in the Finger Lakes does some excellent Method Champenois stuff. So all champ- exactly like Champagne. Uh, we let our stuff sit for nine months on the Lees. And it gets super fine bubbles, really pretty. And that will you can pair, um, in my opinion, with any like really 
kind of creamy cheeses, anything a little bit rich and funky a lot of the time. So that it helps kind of clear off yeah, the fat all that from the fat, palate. Yeah. Same so one. what would you conversely pair with um, something, you know, like a dry, are, are dry ciders generally sweet? Are they tannic? Is it, they, they tend to either? be, uh, they can generally, they're still and dry. Uh, they've gone through, com- they've gone through complete fermentation. There's no residual left. Um, and they can be nice with um, like a Manchego, something like that, like a little bit lighter, sharp and hard because they have a lot of acidity most of the time. Um, so that acid helps. Think of like pairing like um, in terms of our Cinderella slipper drinks a lot like Kruner or uh, Cateratto for okay. the newer one coming out. Um, so I like to think like a high acid white wine um, is the same way I would pair with cheese. So like you could pair a white burgundy or you could pair or even. Or Actually, you- there are some like the Albi Hill a lot of the time. It's not as dense, but like it, you can do like a Burgundian style pairing with that. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of. Uh, or even, I mean, certain Rieslings uh, remind me a lot. Um, but then you start to get into this conversation of Residual sweetness sugar. and acidity. I mean, I worked for Paul Greco for four years. So. <laughs> yeah, um, the, the Mr. Riesling himself. Mr. Riesling himself. Um, I mean, that, I, I think that that's a good segue into a discussion about sweetness and cider. And I think this is, as a, um, as a, as a vendor of cider, uh, the biggest question I get is, is it sweet? Yeah. At you for for at, and and it used to be like, is it sweet because I want it sweet? And now it's like, is it sweet because I definitely don't want it sweet? Um. <clears throat> so that's probably the toughest thing about cider right now. Obviously, I pick easy things to sell. Going from riesling into cider, I'm right. I'm sure. really championing <laughs> a cause here. Um, Wait, is that cause? Is that cause? RS. It's mainly it's RS. Okay. I'm I am RS being residual sure. sugar here. So um, in something like we're drinking right now, this can um, has about twelve grams per liter residual sugar. Okay. So, so if we're talking about like in riesling, yeah, uh, nine grams and below is trochan or dry. Okay. So we're just off dry here. We're going to be in like the halp trochan level so with like, this can. Finer. Uh, all right. And that's different from spot lazy. That's way higher up. TBA, than, yeah, blah, 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 we're, blah. we're almost four times right, for, cool. once we're in there, um, and. With sugar insider, um, like we were talking about before, there's dry really means nothing once you see something like the scale on the side. Because this doesn't taste sweet to me. It it no, almost I, tastes salty. Um, I, it feels like it has tension. Maybe I, I feel like I'm still learning these wine words and cider words, but like I, I, I feel like wine people talk to me about tension a lot, and I try to identify it. I think that's those are actually great descriptors. I also think this is a little bit honeyed in the back in terms yes. of the sweetness and. Um, that comes from where we get our sugars, hence the question, you know, if it's sweet, why is it sweet? Um, so what we're doing with this is... Is that to say that all sugars aren't made equal? They are not made equal. And it's they the difference equal? between, like, what Blue Nun was in the 70s, if anyone remembers the Yellowtail of Riesling. Wow, all right. Um, you can have a bottle now, it's not that bad. That's but, uh, right, it's, it's, it'll be dry or, in about 100 years. Or, like, you know, a sweet wine from something like Trader Joe's would make, where they're throwing in sugar, they're chapitalizing, they're going to add more sugar and just stabilize it um, to keep it from re-fermenting. Hmm. Um, with, that's just cane sugar, and it's very different from what you're going to get in natural apple sugars. Um, I'm reminded of beer here where um, certain beers, even though they're fermented quite dryly, they have ingredients that that make you think that they have a hint of sweetness. So like a stout with vanilla beans, your brain always associates vanilla beans with sugar and sweetness and, and ice cream and things. Mm-hmm. And so your brain tastes the stout as being sweet, even though it's it's as dry or drier than the IPAs that you're drinking. 
Yeah, and uh, it's a question of, in the general public, a lot of what I get, uh, people I think, I don't think it's are confused. I just don't think they have the vocabulary because they're not drinking a lot. Um, is the difference between fruit forward and sweet? Like, you can get uh, fruit forward be something like uh, Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. You get all of these bright um, tropical notes a lot of the time, but it can be bone dry. There's no residual sugar. And people will think that's sweet. It's just more of a fruit forward thing. Huh. As so it's just the, those other the flavors. They just get in their all brain. The signifiers. Yeah. As opposed to something like, um, and there are sugars in ciders, uh, specifically pear cider, sorbitol, can't be fermented. And it's a and secondary so it's a sugar. Ingredient so it's a natural ingredient constituent that's of... That's why it's in pear cider. It's one of those things that it'll come off as sweet, even though you've fermented throughout everything you can. Most pears will still have a little bit of this like hint of sweetness on the back. Huh. And that's because pears just have natural yeah. sorbitol in them? Yep. I feel like sorbitol is one of those things that's in toothpaste. It's like a natural, like a, like a, like a, that little back sweetener, sugar esque thing. Interesting. Um, and so how do you, how do you feel like, uh, the, the sweetness question plays into, um, pairing and cheese? I think with, uh, if you're like us and you're using ice cider, it gives it that honeyed back. So we make an ice cider for pretty much anything we sweet, back sweeten. It's just blending our ice cider for even the can we, Make an ice cider that goes to 6.2%, put it outside to just naturally halt the fermentation, and blend like that back in. actually outside in the wintertime. Yeah, we, all of ours is what we call cold crashed. So once it gets to the alcohol percentage we want, we throw it back outside. It's normally like negative 15 degrees. It's done. Oh, crazy. Right, well, by the time we're done fermenting, a little warmer than that, but on average, it'll get down to negative 15. And so ice out. cider, like, Our it's not a, there's, it's, it's not a euphemism. It's no, a, it's a little ice cider. We wow. we naturally freeze the juice, let it thaw, and the first twenty percent we take and ferment. It's wow. a natural freeze and thaw, just That's in cool. large totes next to the barn. So that gives it a very specific like richness in the back, um, which I think pairs well with um, a lot of like funkier cheeses. I think it's a good. I like the opposite pairing a lot. Well, of so time. I love I love ice ciders and, and particularly sweeter ciders um, with say blue cheeses or. Um, saltier cheeses exactly i love it with blue cheese yeah. i think it's fantastic uh and even french ciders that aren't as sweet like they're all natural sugars from a process called keeving um you basically put it into a bottle for a secondary fermentation like a champagne but because uh during fermentation of these french ciders you leave them on the with everything after crush absorbs some extra pectin things like that you put it into barrel for the primary if you're familiar with like a sherry fermentation it gets the floor right in French cider, it gets a, the grossest floor of all time. It's a layer of pectin up top. Ew. Fermentation will start uh, going. Um, it's very gross. Like, but makes delicious. Jelly. It's a jelly top, and it acts as a natural filter. Brings out a lot of the nutrients, too. It'll drop. Um, in French, it's called defecation. Uh, in British, <laughs> it's the flying. In English, it's the flying leaves. It's the one time the French are more eloquent than the British yeah, a, in terms it, of boost. It makes it sound so fancy and highfalutin oh. when you say it like that. <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm just a fancy guy. Yeah. Well, um, that's why you're here. So you get that and there's not enough nutrients to finish fermentation. So you get this naturally sweet, low alcohol cider in terms of French style a lot of the time. Um, so, and that pairs perfectly with like blue cheeses, things like that. Sh- like natural sugars and like a little bit of tannin, I think are perfect with cheeses. Like well, that. and I'm reminded of things like Chateau de Quiem, um, mm-hmm. Sauterne, um, these, or you know, if you like the Hungarian sweet wines, um, the Tokais, where they have a long-standing history of being paired with these kinds of things, and so it's an easy step 
for the end consumer to be like, oh, well, um, this works, so let me find a cider that, that at least is in the same ballpark. Yeah, and then uh, for me, like, <clears throat> I'm from Long Island, so this is hardcore white trash inside of me, but every <laughs> once in a while, I, like, I'll have some of our ice cider or other people's ice ciders. Again, Eve's, I'm going to quote as another person making something fantastic. I don't want to just plug our stuff. Um, with just a really good cheddar. It like almost a, it gets you to that point of like diner apple pie. Oh, with yeah. almost like a slice of American cheese melted on top. I really like Cabot Seriously Sharp myself. It's with the Hunter's Plaid. Oh, I'm into it. Oh, yeah. Which just uh, sort of on top of that bake. secret. It's uh, the, if you've ever seen the Cabot Racer's Edge, it is the same cheese, but just branded for the NASCAR market. Huh. Did not know that. White plaid instead. <laughs> white checkered. <laughs> so, you know. Can I call the checkered flag white plaid from now on? Yes, that's basically what it is. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Um, so, I guess what I want to kind of finish up with and leave with is some tips and tricks that um, our listeners can take to any old picnic or any old shop, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, it sounds like if it grows together, it goes together. So, if somebody is buying... A, you know, some Spanish cheeses. They might want to look for some Spanish ciders. There's great ones from the Astorias or the Basque region. Yeah. Um, if someone's buying some English cheeses or even English-inspired cheeses, so we're talking cheddars, um, territorials, there are a lot of British um, ciders that are excellent. Not a ton of which are coming into the States, but there are also American ciders that are... I, I would honestly say like a rule of thumb for that. Um, a lot of like traditional method, um, things that are close to champagne... I hate to say it's in the packaging, but like things in 375s or 750s are normally going to be dry just because it's hard to decode labels like right now. A can or a 12 ounce bottle. Yeah, you're going to be guaranteed a pretty much a natural fermentation. Actually, with- that's a great tip. All right. Yeah. So if you didn't catch that, um, look for ciders. You know, if you're looking to get a, a really good cider, um, your luck is better in 375s or 750s. Just in terms on, of you know, American ciders and British, like you're probably going to have a secondary fermentation in bottle that way. Oh, or. Okay. Something that's going to be on the drier side. Um, it just it doesn't always work. They're but not it's a good rule of thumb. Crappy juice in an expensive bottle is what you're saying. Most of the time, yeah. look for like you know burgundy bottle uh, can be a crown cap or a uh, or a cork actual and cork and cage. But yeah. you know three seventy fives and seven fifties are a good way to kind of do it. Best and then, other way, best way is go to the go to your shop or go to a really good shop. Uh, Brooklyn Wine Exchange is a great spot. Um, Vine Wine in Williamsburg. Yep, they have a great, um, great cider selection. Henry's in, the, in Bushwick has yeah. an excellent selection. Um, Dandelion Wine. Dandelion Wine is fantastic. And then Aster Wines, of yeah. course, the big one in the city, has a wide variety of Some, cider. Somewhere you know where you're going, people know you, know your palate, and yeah. you're, they're going to be able to answer questions. And uh, I think we should also encourage people to experiment. Yeah, um, um, if you want to go just... Go out, if you want to do taste of any, or not taste, but you know, be able to get some small pours of everything... Uh, Owl Farm, or oh, for as like a bar to a go out to like good... start to get to know what you want. Cool, yeah. If you're in Brooklyn, um, Owl Farm has a wonderful selection of ciders on both bottle, and they always usually have at least a line or two. Or Beer Street and Graham Avenue oh. always has something good. Yeah, Beer Street, excellent, and in, uh, in Williamsburg as well. Um, cool. So I think that's gonna wrap it us wrap it up for us. Um, if there's anything you want to add, are you uh, are you what are you most excited about on the horizon for cider, for cheese? Um, anything? Um, Cider-wise? Uh, new producers, new... Yeah, my favorites right now are probably South Hill. is really good. Haken from Colorado. Oh, I don't know them. 
Aaron, oh, I'll bring you some bottles. Excellent. It's very good. Um, they're hard to find because they're mainly sold Friends in, in high places, dear listener. Uh, Art and Science out in Oregon. Um, and for people in New York, uh, they don't bring as much in anymore, but Tilted Shed out of California. Yes, I've seen Tilted Shed as well. Yeah, just if you want to do the entire state, uh, and John at Black Duck Ciders. Uh, Black Duck is probably one of my favorite ciders in New York State, along with Aaron Burr. Awesome. And Aaron Burr being a sort of iconoclastic... Yeah, uh, he's uh, the one person else... I highly recommend reading his book. Um, this is Andy Brennan. Andy Brennan just wrote a new book through uh, Chelsea Green Publishing. Yep. And he is the only person on this earth who I believe deserves to be on a high horse <laughs> and is allowed to say whatever he wants because he's the one person I've seen that has never compromised anything. All right. He just does his thing. And how... It's a great read. Halfway through it. Cool. Great. Um, well, thanks so much, uh, Jeff Russell from Eden Ciders. Um, if you want to uh, learn more about cider and cheese, go out and grab that book. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. We also do, uh, if anyone ever wants to do cider classes or anything like that, they can reach me directly. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have uh, Jeff's contact information up on our show page. Uh, he goes around and does uh, cider classes, cider and cheese pairings for all the greats in New York City and uh, maybe coming to a town near you uh, if you are in Colorado or Japan sometime in the next few months. Uh, all right. This has been Cutting the Curd. I'm Aaron Foster, your host. It has been a delight, and I look forward to speaking to you soon over the airwaves. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>